sermon podcast of the Holy Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Jane Falcon. Good morning, Paley Press. I am so glad to be with you this morning. I have this really easy affection and um, just a sense of being at home with all of you. I grew up in a Presbyterian church on the West Coast. Uh, My whole family was discipled in a Presbyterian church very similar to this. It's where I sensed my call to ministry, where I was ordained and then have served in a Presbyterian church for the last uh, 16 years until 2020. So I am just so glad to be with you this morning. As Bruce mentioned, I'm so grateful for your leadership and really this amazing thing that your elders are doing during this transition period. What an incredible gift. Um, it's really remarkable to me. I now work at Palmer Theological Seminary and Eastern University with Tony Campolo, and together we get to disciple and encourage students who sense a call to ministry, and that has been such a great gift. I'm sweating. Are you all sweating? It's great. But the way that I got connected here is that Maddie Ridgway, who preached last week, who is your director of student ministries, uh, she is actually going to be a Campolo scholar as she pursues her seminary degree at Palmer Theological Seminary and continues to serve here. So I'm really looking forward to that connection and being with her. I get to work with Heather Norsini at Eastern and just so grateful. Maybe some others of you who I haven't met yet. It's a new post for me. But another reason that I feel so um, really drawn to you is that you are a people in transition and pastoral transition specifically. And I've been through that recently and I know how significant that can be for a church and all both the loss, some of the upheaval, the opportunity that that brings. And um, it's significant. So as you are in that collective uh, transition, um, I want to talk with you about that. But what I also know is because you're humans, you also individually are probably also in transitions uh, of your own. I've heard it said that everyone you meet is either in the midst of a transition, is about to enter one, or is just coming out of them. And transition is just part of life. And sometimes they are really good and sometimes they're really hard, but they all involve change. And 100% of change involves loss of some kind. So I wanna talk about that today and how we can um, experience these things that are gonna be part of our lives because we are human beings, that there is change. I met with a man last week, another part of the country, who with the help of his wife founded an organization Uh, over 25 years ago. And over time, it has grown to have a really significant, both local, uh, national, and even global impact. And as I was talking with him, he was talking about, um, during COVID, this thing that had become such a part of their community, their life, uh, he just hit a wall. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in every way, he said he was just coming apart at the seams. He was depressed, dry, anxious, in physical pain, and floundering. And it was so severe that this man who had founded this organization, had been the CEO for almost 25 years, had to leave, according to his own sense and the sense of the organization. And he said that when he left, 
He had no idea what would happen to him, to his marriage, to his organization, to his financial realities. And I was struck that that is actually a pretty common reality. It's something that we heard a lot, certainly, during COVID. I relate to it myself. Maybe you do too. Transitions come in all shapes and sizes, and they're started by all different kinds of circumstances, sometimes external, sometimes internal. So my hope is this morning that we can learn something about transitions that will help us to continue to walk with Jesus in change, even in loss, and that it would draw us more deeply into his presence, transform us, and bring new life for us on the other side. And I have spent, because the transition for me, as we left, uh, we came to Pennsylvania, my husband was called to Penn, and my transition away from this job and church that I loved was really difficult for me. And I've spent the last two or three years really reading and learning a lot about transitions because I think they're so significant. But in 20 years, I've never preached on transitions. So it's been a gift to me today to prepare this sermon for you, knowing that you're in transition, and to share some of the things that God has been teaching me. And we're going to take a look at this really amazing, amazing, amazing gospel text about people who, in this case, are in a very heartbreaking, life-changing transition. And it takes place on the road to Emmaus. Uh, this is a picture of what we believe is the actual road between Jerusalem and Emmaus. So let's pray, and then we will join up uh, on this journey. Jesus, would you walk with us in and through your word this morning? Would you meet us by your Holy Spirit and teach us of yourself as we walk together with you? I pray that you would tend and speak to each one who's here, who is listening online away from here. Have your loving way in and through and among us for your glory. Amen. Well, a little bit of context uh, before we jump into this text. It really is this gut-wrenching text because it's from the first Easter Sunday. It actually takes place on that first Easter Sunday. And all of the Jews had traveled to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival. But instead of just the lambs being sacrificed to commemorate Israel's rescue from slavery, Jesus' followers, we know they witnessed the terror of his crucifixion on what we now call Good Friday. They experienced both the horror of that, but also the confusion of his promises coming to an end. Their hopes were literally crushed before their eyes, and their own lives were in a vulnerable place as their leader had just been crucified. So Jesus' disciples, the 12 and the others uh, who were with them, they observed that Sabbath on that holy Saturday, in Jerusalem, we can only imagine the darkness and the fear and the grief that they would have experienced on that day, not knowing at all what was going on. And then very first thing that Sunday morning, some of the women went to the tomb and they found that it was empty and no one knew what had happened. After all of this grief, there was this confusing, maybe glimmer of hope. And that's where our passage takes place. The disciples were in deep grief between the confusion of Jesus' death and this hope that maybe he was alive. 
And this passage is rooted in this epic event that really is the crux of human history, and therefore it's deeply personal to each one of us. But it's also instructive to us about our own lives when we are between a death and a hope of all kinds. So I want to invite you to just really enter into this remarkable moment in history as a fellow journeyer. You might even close your eyes as I read the passage and even perhaps allow yourself to be on the road as one of the disciples as I read. I'm going to read Luke 24 verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there these days? And he asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they did not find his body there and came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at the table with them, he took, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Such an amazing passage. Just reading it, I am just so in awe. I mean, I've been reading this over and over again of Jesus and the wonder, the mystery, the goodness. So here's what we're going to do as we explore and spend time in this passage and consider about Jesus, but also what it has to teach us about transitions. So here's where we're going for those of you who like to know. Transitions with Jesus begin with an end, transform us together along the way, and prepare us for new beginnings. 
So I was really surprised to learn that every transition actually begins with an end. We enter a transition because something has ended. And in this case, this enormous, world-changing, seemingly tragic end has taken place. Jesus, the one that they thought had come to save Israel and the world, was killed. His life ended. His mission seems to have failed. And the end of Jesus' life and ministry on earth was an enormous undoing for the disciples, many of whom, who had given their whole lives, had been outcasts from their families, uh, walked away from their trade or livelihood, even their homes, to follow him and to be part of the way. And you could hear some of that grief and shock in their words, especially those four words, but we had hoped we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, the one we've been waiting for. They had no idea that this seemingly tragic end would actually initiate a transformation of everything. Perhaps you have had an ending that has been so undoing that it changed your whole life. And let me just say, if you are in that place right now, I bless you in the painful upheaval that that can be, and maybe even to be in a sermon or a passage like this. It can be so difficult to see in the moment, but it's important to recognize that endings are also beginnings. William Bridges, who wrote really the quintessential book on transitions, said this, even though we're likely to view an ending as the conclusion of the situation it terminates, it's also the initiation of a process. Endings are the first, not the last, act of a play. So in your case as a church, I imagine that the end of your former pastor's time here with you is at least partially what ushered in this interim time of transition that you're in. And we can be so grateful that churches are not defined by their pastors and that the church belongs to and is led by Jesus Christ as her Lord. And yet we are deeply influenced by our spiritual shepherds. Their transition impacts us. And for you personally, you may have had endings. Some of them come and go quite naturally. The end of a school year, the end of a season. But there are endings that more significantly change our lives. And again, some life-changing ends are good, even a relief like getting married. It's something that you're excited about, but the end of your primary relationship to your family of origin. Or retirement, something that you look forward to and plan for, the end of your paid work. And notice I didn't say the end of your work because we know about you retired people, that you keep us going. Thank you for that, but we know that often the work doesn't end there. But many endings are filled with a grief and a loss and a heartache, like the disciples, the loss of somebody that you love, or a significant decline in your health, broken relationships, loss of your sense of purpose, leaving a place or a community. Some endings can be extremely painful. And especially when endings are difficult or unplanned, we often wanna rush right from whatever end we have experienced right to the new beginning and avoid the time of transition right in the middle there. When we moved to Pennsylvania during the pandemic, I left, as I mentioned, a church, a job, a community that I loved. And I had so much grief in the ending of that time. And even though there were so many transitional things that needed to be tended to once we arrived, 
like finding a place to live. We moved across the country and didn't know where we were gonna live. Finding a school district, we didn't know where kids were gonna go to school. My grief led me to immediately wanna move on to something new. I applied for a finance job and I have no experience or aptitude in finance. I thought maybe I'll start a photography business and I have no equipment, no know-how. I just wanted to do anything to move on from this sad ending and get to something new, but even more to avoid my needed process of transition, which became a year and a half of neither end and neither beginning, but a disorienting season of resting and grieving and wandering before anything new could emerge. So when we have an ending, we've left the ordered way of being. And as Presbyterians, we joke, but we highly value order, don't we? And the transition in the middle time is really entering a time of disorder, of not really having the clarity of what we've left, that order, or what the reordering will look like, or when that reorder will come. In between time, that along the way time, is a space of disorder. This time that you are in in a church, in, as, as a church in many ways, is a time of disorientation, of disorder in some ways. And it's a time we often want to avoid because it's so unsettling. We just want to get out. We just want to get on with the new thing. It's sometimes what uh, is called in architecture or in uh, really current speak as liminal space. And in architecture, it's defined as the physical space between one destination and the next. I have some pictures of this. Hallways, bridges, tunnels, even doorways. And the Latin root limen literally means a threshold. It's the needed space when we're moving from one place to another, from an end to a new beginning. And as uncomfortable and vulnerable as it can be to be in that in-between time, what we see over and over again in scripture and in our own lives, that it is precisely there that God uses those times to transform people, to draw them deeper into his presence when they are away from their order and their usual routine and the rhythms, the comforts, the familiar things of what had been. And God knows that we are curious and dependent and longing and tender. And that's what we see here with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They are in a literal physical liminal space on the road between where it all ended in Jerusalem, not knowing what's ahead for them back at their life in Emmaus. But here is the gold in this text. While they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. That is everything right there. Our Lord Jesus is one who comes near to us in our suffering, in our confusion, in our grief, in our wandering, and not just comes near, but goes with us, as the text said. I love that. And one of the things that I love is that we see that Jesus doesn't rush the disciples from their grief. He doesn't move right into the explanation of scripture. He walks with them. He asks them multiple, really open-ended, generous questions and listens to their response. And when they were so sad that they had to stop walking and maybe even snapped at Jesus, did you catch that? When they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happening? Jesus simply asks them to continue sharing with him. 
it's such an important reminder that sometimes we are so sad and grief is so intense that we can't even keep moving forward toward a new beginning. We can only be still and sad. And we see that Jesus is with them there. I wonder for some of you if there might be an invitation there to simply be still and sad and allow Jesus to be with you there. There's a theologian named Kosuke Koyama who wrote a book of biblical reflections called The Three Mile an Hour God with the idea that there's this just general pace that human beings go about life, which is about a 20-minute mile or three miles an hour. It's a really interesting idea. And he says, because it's the speed we walk, it's the speed of love that God walks with us. And I just want to read this excerpt um, from this book. Every time we see Jesus traversing from one city to another, he's walking. More profoundly, the New Testament speaks about those who Jesus walked alongside. He walked with outcasts, disciples, and family members, and he walked their pace. He walked with them through sickness, sorrow, misunderstanding, sin, abandonment, and death. He never rushed. He never sped ahead. Love does that. It walks the speed of another. But what happens when three miles an hour is far too fast? What about the reality of sorrow and loss? What about the seasons of life where it feels impossible to put one foot in front of the other? God's taken name in Christ means he is with us, and he does not qualify his name. There are no exceptions to his withness. The sandaled God walks with us every step of the way, no matter the speed. He's not just the three-mile-an-hour God. He is the one-mile-an-hour God, and even the God who comes to a standstill. We see the heart of Jesus as he journeys with us at whatever pace we are walking through whatever we are walking through. And I think this also reminds us that these liminal spaces are not just unfortunate times to be endured, like, let's just get on with it. Let's just figure out what's happening. Let's just get our new pastor and keep moving. These are important, really, thresholds in our life together and in our lives that provide necessary space for the process of an ending and a new beginning, a death and a new life, if you will, which has the potential to draw us more intimately into God's presence and renew us and renew our lives. So there's a lot of mystery in this passage, and I had a whole thing in here about um, why it was that they couldn't recognize Jesus. So if if that's something you're really interested in, let's talk about it after. There's just so much, there's so much mystery in this passage. But one of the things, even though they don't know who Jesus is, and even though they've said, he said some kind of harsh things to them, what we see is that they are so drawn to him. Their hearts were burning within them, and it says they begged him to come in and stay with them in their home. Being with Jesus is what transforms us. Not so much what happens or the process, but being with Jesus. And we are to understand from this passage that Jesus draws near to us and journeys with us, especially in these wilderness times. And so here's a little parenthetical insight that I want to just call out, is that Jesus transforms us together through our wandering. That was something that I think is so significant. One of my favorite uh, 
theologians and teachers is Ruth Haley Barton, and she writes a lot about this two disciples journeying together. The two of them we, we see in this text are talking about everything that's happened. And on the one hand, we say, of course they're talking about everything that happened. This is like world-changing, life-changing stuff. But when you think about the crises in your life, isn't it the case that we often avoid talking about the difficult things with one another, our confusion or our heartache or our disappointments? And honestly, church can be one of the places where we are most prone to talk about everything except what is really going on, at least until we get through to the other side of that hard transition. It's a challenge for us. What does it mean to go together along the way? And to be fair, it's a rare companion with whom you can talk about everything. Someone who, like Jesus, will stand in the middle of the journey while you are too sad to keep going and not rush you along, I will say I have been changed by the non-judgmental, loving, gracious, empathetic people who have drawn near to me when I am at my lowest. People who ask generous questions and offer perspective, they speak truth and they walk and they wait alongside of me. So I just want to say to you, if you have a friend or a partner or a mentor or a spiritual director or a counselor who does that for you, you have one of the greatest treasures in all of life. And the reality is, as Father Richard Rohr says, we become those people who can walk alongside when we have walked the road of suffering and deep love ourselves. It's then that we can genuinely accompany others along their way of suffering, of transition, of loss and love. It's one of actually, I think, the silver linings of knowing as you walk through these hard times that it is one of the things, one of the only ways that we're equipped to actually go with others. But one more interesting and important detail about these two particular disciples. Centuries of preaching and art have led us to assume that both the disciples were men. I don't know if you can see these. There's our bearded people there. Um, and surely one of them was. Verse 18 tells us that one of the disciples was named Cleopas, a distinctively male common name. But this passage leaves the other disciple unnamed. And some have suggested that this may be the writer's way of inviting us to identify ourselves in the passage, like with holy imagination, to make the journey as one of Jesus' disciples. And I love that. And I especially appreciate the images like this one, I don't know if you can see that, where the disciple's face, you can't see it at all. That the second disciple is very unformed. But there's something else that is worth noting. Many Bible scholars have suggested that the other disciple was Cleopas's wife, Mary. Because in John 19, 25, we read that the wife of Clopas, which is a slightly different spelling, you can see here, it's the Aramaic form of Cleopas, that his wife was the Mary present, one of the Marys present at the crucifixion. And maybe the same Mary who's named in Matthew, Mark, and John at the empty tomb very early this same morning uh, with the women. So at a time when men and women were separated by a curtain in the synagogues, when girls and women were not able to be learners or they were not taught the Torah, what we know is that the way that Jesus engaged with both men and women the way that men and women sat under his teaching, and the many ways that Jesus spoke to and about women in particular and honored them and lifted them up as examples of faithfulness, the way he was friends with women and men, shared meals, visited in their homes, was radically 
countercultural. So I want to celebrate that that is on display here at your church, where we see men and women uh, empowered to use their gifts to serve God, to journey with God together. And I think this is an important word of encouragement for us, and also for marriages, that these partnerships can be transformative and rich and vulnerable and deep. That as men and women, we can walk together with Jesus and accompany one another through transitions. And like these two, they urge you to stay with us, that we would continue in these places. Stay with us, Jesus. Well, I want to circle back to that CEO who hit a wall. One of the things that I found so interesting in talking with him and his wife last week was that after a very wilderness wandering in this kind of no man's land, this zone of just, we're not here and we have no idea where we're going, It took about a third of a year, he said, over four months. And he eventually sensed God's invitation to a new beginning. But this new beginning was actually right back where he had started. He returned to his organization as the CEO. Nothing had changed, and yet everything had changed. Because he said the the transition actually occurred in him. He was renewed. His understanding of himself, his work, his relationships, God's love for him had been repaired, had been restored, had been enlarged. And what he thought was this horrible end, like the worst ending for him, as many others around him and part of his organization also felt, that after this time of holy undoing, he was able to begin anew, better, more surrendered, more connected to God and the people around him more rightly ordered in his own identity and his work. It's been almost a year and a half for him, and he just said it's a very, very different way of being. He went through a personal transformation, but it had very little to do with the external circumstances, had all to do with the transition of being with Jesus and being transformed. So as it is, as we wrap up here, new beginnings actually emerge toward the end of our transitions. And here is what is so beautiful. Someone like this fear of a leader who steps away or like when a pastor leaves, it can feel like, oh, that's the worst. But what the disciples thought was this tragic end to Jesus's life, they thought was the worst end that could ever happen. But we know that the way with Jesus is often a great reversal. He turns things upside down. The lowly are lifted up. The last are first. The dead are raised. What seems like a tragic end is often actually the brightest new beginning. Jesus was doing a new thing, and his transition from death to resurrection is actually what brings life The crucifixion end and the mystery and darkness of Holy Saturday in his transition, the glory of resurrection, is the ultimate new beginning. Not just for the disciples, but for all of creation. The ultimate new beginning. Jesus' resurrection is the new beginning of the good news of the gospel. And it's meant to initiate a new way of life for us as disciples. One of the things I love about my job is I get to um, hang out with Tony Campolo, who is just this amazing uh, figure in our faith. 
And he meets one-on-one -on -one with these students, some of whom are freshmen in college, all the way up through graduate students who are pastoring and doing really incredible ministries. And he always asks them the same question, and it totally puts them on the spot. And because I'm always there, I get to hear him ask the same question over and over again. And it always is a beautiful conversation, no matter how they answer. But he always asks them, if you had to put it in just a couple words, what was Jesus's mission? What was Jesus's ministry? You can kind of see them like squirm a little bit. So this is how he would answer it. Jesus's mission was for people to be transformed by him, by Christ, to be transformed in Christ and to do the work of Christ's transformation in the world. Most clearly, that we would be transformed in Christ, and that we would go on to join Jesus in his work of transformation in the world at every place we are. Systems, relationships, everything. In Christ, we transition, if you will, from spiritual death to life. In Christ, we have this new beginning. We are transformed. And then we're called to live into that new beginning, that transformation. So if you want to know more about Jesus' mission for his life and ours, I think it's really interesting. I've wondered, what were those passages that he talked about along the way? What are those Old Testament texts? And I had so much fun. Again, it's in my notes. It's on the cutting room floor if you want to talk about that. But one that I would point you to is Isaiah 61. In Luke 4, when it's Jesus' first words of his public ministry, do you remember what he says? He opens the scroll and says he finds the place of Isaiah 61 and he begins reading. It's likely that that's where Jesus understood his mission. And because we follow Jesus, Isaiah 61 is a great mission for us to adopt really as the gospel message. One of the things I love is that the same hour that the disciples were, that they recognized that they were with Jesus, they were at the table with him, did you, did you notice what it says? It says that very hour they turned right back around and went on the same road back to where that tragic end has happened. They probably filled their water bottles, went to the bathroom, and just got right back on the road. <laughs> but oh my, can you imagine that same road? What a different conversation. What a different journey. They had been so changed in a day because of their time with Jesus. And yet they returned to the same people to the same place that they had been with for that tragic ending. But because of that intimate, grieving, eye-opening, transforming journey with Jesus, they had a new understanding and a new vision and a new clarity for their lives and for the world, a new hope. And that really is the hope for each of us. That as we go through these changes, as we go through these transitions in life, some of them are going to be small and hidden. Some of them will be big. Some of them will be corporate, like you as a church, and some of them will be very personal. That we would walk with Jesus and one another, and that as we do, that we will be transformed, that you will be transformed as you experience Jesus' presence. He draws near to you as you go, at whatever pace you are going. And in that, as you spend time in Jesus' presence, that your eyes will be opened that you will know his grace and truth. You will experience the love of God and one another, and that you will emerge from these journeys on the other side more trusting, more loving, 
more gracious, more hopeful, more transformed, different than when you began. Renewed to share God's love and to be about that work of transformation in all the places that the Lord has sent you. That's my prayer for you. May it be, amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for you into all of that, and then we'll sing together. Oh, Jesus, it's so amazing that you, the one who created all things, that you, the one who came to save the world, the one who created the world, the one who came to save the world, God, that you draw near to us, that by your spirit you actually dwell within us, that you go with us into all these things of life. God, we want to be uh, so... uh, in your presence. We want to be so content. We want to be so aware of you. And we also, God, want you to do your transforming work in us, that we might have this uh, invitation to a new beginning, to a new way of life with you, that we would join you in what you're doing in the world. So I just pray a blessing on this church, that you would um, Assure them of your presence, of your love, of your care individually and together and the mystery, God, of how you do that. That they would be disciples who long to be with you, that say, stay with us, Jesus, stay with us, no matter what our circumstances are. So bless them and use them, God. Would you use them to do your transforming work uh, here Uh, and far from here as well. Jesus, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't we stand together and sing our final hymn?
Amen. I've never had to use... Um... <laughs> wow. You um, are endurance people, so bless you in all of that. Um, as we go from this place, I do just acknowledge that there's so much in this really amazing passage that we didn't get to, as well as transitions. And I just feel so... Um, passionate really about transition. So I want to both encourage you, um, all of the authors that I mentioned have written really incredible things about transitions and about this text. And I wanna share a um, website with you. I um, have, yeah, if you go back to that other one, this book on transitions which I mentioned is that quintessential book on transitions. And I have summarized this book with some of the art that I had in my sermon, and I put it into um, a, on a website, an online gallery, which is on that next slide. And if you would like to really get a summary of this book, if there's something else that you want to explore, it's a really amazing passage, or a really amazing book. And also, I started a coaching business on between this between time. And I'm, the reason I can tell you about this is I'm not taking any more clients right now. There's nothing, there's nothing, no, nothing for me to gain, except on this website, there are so many tools and resources and books that if you are interested in learning more about transitions, you can go there and find them. They're all free. Um, I won't even know that you're on there, but you can just go and use some of those resources on your own or in your small group. But I bless you, and I'll be in the back, would love to meet some of you and talk with you. But I just encourage you in this transition to keep uh, walking with Jesus together and to know his presence with you. So know that as you do, you go with the love of God the Father, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the constant presence and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you. Amen. Amen.